0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today's show focuses on the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation. Two representatives are in studio to talk about what this organization does and how you can get involved. Up first is their executive director, Christina Judge. How are you doing today?
0: Great. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you driving all the way from Fort Worth, correct?
0: Yes, Fort Worth.
1: Okay. A, a previous guest, Brad Alan, um, recommended you guys. I always ask for recommendations from guests, so afterwards... I'm going to need one from at least both of you. Um, But uh, he had great things to say about your organization, and you told me off mic that he was part of your board. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Brad is one of our board members.
1: And do you work closely with him?
0: We do. We do. He's very involved. And um, if you know anything about Brad, he's a marriage and family therapist. So he brings a lot of value to our board.
1: Well, I do want to discuss what you do for this organization and how you found it. But first, I think we really need to just talk about the organization. Tell me about the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation. What do you guys do?
0: Well, what we do is we provide suicide prevention training and education for children, teens, and adults. And we have a few different programs. Uh, The first program that I want to speak about is our Hope Squad program. And that is a peer-to-peer school-based curriculum. It was founded in Utah 14 years ago, and um, in response to uh, a string of suicides in that area, the national director, Greg Hudnall, was a principal of a high school. And he basically came up with the curriculum that they have been using for quite a while in 300 schools in Utah. And we have had it, we're in our third year here of using it um, in Fort Worth ISD. We also have White Settlement, and we've just implemented with Birdville. So this fall, we have about 25 schools. And what makes a curriculum unique is that instead of a single service delivery where someone comes in and talks to kids about uh, suicide prevention for an hour, this is ongoing. And it's ongoing, and the concept is really very unique in that the students actually represent Hope Squad student leaders. They're elected based on criteria, if the students are, um, you know, good listeners, they're um, able, you know, to be confided in, and the same names kind of bubble up to the top because they're nominated by their fellow students. Mm -hmm. These Hope Squad student leaders become the ears and eyes of the school. They don't become therapists or counselors, but they're taught to look for signs, um, ask important questions, um, persuade students to, 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 to stay with them so that they can get help. Um, the students are, uh, the Hope Squad leaders are supervised by um, Hope Squad advisors, and those are um, staff that are embedded in the school, usually counselors, um, intervention specialists, social workers, and um, sometimes even teachers. Um, when Ellen and I, we were in Utah, it was interesting. We went to a very small elementary school, and there was actually a um, one of the um, custodians, Mr. Rusty, was actually one of the Hope Squad advisors because he was very popular and the students felt comfortable with him and they trusted him.
1: Of all the programs that you could have chose to implement, what spoke to you specifically about this one?
0: I think the fact that Hope Squad itself is an ongoing curriculum throughout the school year in that it sets up a culture of kindness and caring, inclusivity, anti-bullying, and it also fosters, it encourages help-seeking hmm. in the school, and um, that's very important because 7 out of 10 children are usually going to tell somebody if if they're struggling with thoughts of suicide, and it's not necessarily an adult. And the thing that I have to say about that, though, is that um, when we go and we do the parent meetings, a lot of the parents will ask questions. Um, they'll feel concerned that... Their children that are nominated to Hope Squad might have too much pressure on them. But these children are already being approached, and it would be to the benefit for them to have the skills and tools that they need to be more effective um, if if students are struggling and come to them and talk to them.
1: What ages are we talking about? Because you said there's 25 schools, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, so the curriculum starts as young as fourth grade. In the younger years, of course, it has more to do with, as I said before, kindness and caring, um, anti-bullying. And as it progresses in, um, in the years, it goes all, all the way up to 12th grade. Um, there's more of a suicide prevention component.
1: Is this taught in the school as part of a curriculum? Is this an after-school type activity for those that are part of Hope Squad?
0: It depends. Each school is different. Sometimes I might have it be part of a period. Sometimes it might be an extracurricular thing.
1: And so how does each school decide what what is going to fit uh, their students?
0: Well, the curriculum itself is pretty flexible, so it just depends on on the particular school. Um, There's different models. Um, Some schools will elect Hope Squad leaders every year. Some of them will use the same ones from year to year. And that's what's so wonderful about it is that it's very flexible.
1: What kind of, of kids are, are joining Hope Squad? What do you look for as far as students that want to participate and help others?
0: If you stop and think of when you were in school and if you were struggling and there was somebody that you wanted to talk to, you might have a few kids that you can think of. They weren't necessarily the popular kids. They weren't necessarily your best friends. Those are the type of students that are nominated and elected to Hope Squad.
1: How does this nomination and election uh, happen? I mean is it, is it the kind of ballot box type thing or do the students go talk to a teacher and mention this to somebody can you know if kids are interested, can they just volunteer themselves? How does that work?
0: Well it's um, there's three I, from from what I know there's three questions that are asked and it's something akin to maybe a survey monkey and they'll put the names in and it seems it's it's really amazing but the same names kind of bubble to the top. Hmm. But the children have to have um, parental permission to participate in the program.
1: As you mentioned before, a lot of parents are almost wary of having their kids deal with such, uh, let's say, heavy subject matter. What you're saying is that it's not really the way to look at it. That this is a part of their lives already, and you're just giving them the tools to be able to deal with it better and also to help people that may need it.
0: Exactly, Nick.
1: And and is that one of the things that made you want to implement Hope Squad in this area?
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: So those are the things that you're looking for that really you think make a difference, because a lot of your organization is, is developed just around education.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that was a deciding factor in terms of using Hope Squad was the success that it had in Utah and it ha- continues to have in Utah. Um, and and that was a big factor right there as well. Currently, right now, the curriculum is being used in 450 schools in the United States, and there's a handful in Canada mm. and. We have, of course, 25 schools here, and then it looks as though we're probably going to be in- implementing at least a dozen more in the spring.
1: That many? So you're, all, I mean, that, I mean that's a significant number. If you've only got 25, you're going to add another 12. Exciting, right?
0: Right. And last year, the last academic school year, about 12,000 students benefited from having Hope Squad in their schools, and oh. that number should probably double this fall.
1: That's impressive. So, is the organization really working towards pushing this out? As much as it can, has this become a major focus for your organization?
0: Yes, it has. It has, All and right. currently, right now, we're serving Tarrant County, but you know, in terms of expansion, we're we're not really sure as to whether or not we'll we'll be able to expand into other counties and when that'll take place.
1: What do you think about that?
0: Well, we have 524 public schools in Tarrant County,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few that you need to get to still. <laughs> yeah. My guest today is Christina Judge. She's the executive director of the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation. You can find them online at jordanharrisfoundation.org. How long have you been a part of this organization?
0: I started last October, so I'm getting ready to to cycle through my first year. How does it feel? It's wonderful. I'm very passionate for the mission. Okay. Um, I have uh, a personal story. Uh, my daughter lost a friend of hers three years ago, almost three years. Yeah, three years ago this month. Um, he died by suicide his name is Gabe and um, it caused some challenges for my daughter and um, luckily I have a social work background so I was able to find my daughter help Mm. and so um, I knew what to do because of my background and I want to make sure that everybody else has that opportunity to know what to do to help somebody
1: you said you worked in social work did you work within suicide the suicide arena I don't know <laughs> I don't know what the proper term is uh, but is is this something that professionally you had experience with uh, beforehand
0: well uh, this is my first foray into suicide prevention um, when I worked for the United States Army I was a social worker and I uh, managed social service programs for army community service okay. yes I've been with um, in child welfare I've been in healthcare, and I've also been in academia
1: you're all over the place <laughs> Wow. What did you, so uh, how long were you in the military for?
0: Uh, I worked for the, I was a Department of the Army civilian. So I worked for Ah. the Department of the Army for three years. Okay.
1: Did you work with suicide and suicide prevention within the military?
0: No, mostly mine was um, financial planning. I, I ran an Army Emergency Relief Office. And if you know anything about the military, um, there's a lot of um, financial struggles with service members. Sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So that was what you were doing. Now, you've been with the organization for about a year. Uh Was it this personal experience that you had? Is that what drew you to this organization? Had you heard Of this organization before
0: I did know about it yes okay and when their previous executive director left I threw my hat into the ring and I'm very grateful to have this it's an honor to work for this agency had you ran
1: an organization like this before I always that's always a huge jump between being a part of it as you know like a social worker or something like that and then actually being the one running this organization
0: this is my first foray into being an executive director
1: is it too much at times? Do you miss the uh, – Do you because mi- I, I want to say that if you're a social worker or you have that kind of background, your boot's on the ground, and that's kind of where people thrive if they're if they've been a part of that for a long time. And then sometimes when you're in the administrative end, you don't get to do that anymore. Do you miss that or do you still get to partake?
0: I think I get to wear a lot of different hats and I like that because I can take all of my skill sets from previous positions that I've held and put them all together. And, um, it's very busy, very fast paced. Um, the days go by quickly, but, um, it's very rewarding and I love it. And I've got a great board and a wonderful team. I've got two other, um, full-time team members. We're small, but we're mighty and, um, we do a whole lot.
1: I was just going to ask about how big your staff was because you're, going to nearly double, I'm guessing, within the next year, the amount of schools that you're helping with just one of your programs, and there's only three full-time employees? Yes. Do you rely a lot on volunteers?
0: We do. We have um, another program that we have is the the actual QPR, the Gatekeeper Training. Okay. And QPR stands for Question, Persuade, Refer. In the gatekeeper training, I get, you know, the tagline is how to save a life in an hour. So we can give you the skills and the tools that you need to be able to question someone if they're struggling, persuade them to get help, and then refer them mm-hmm. to get help. Um, we have about 10 certified volunteers who can go out into the community and do the training.
1: How long does training like that take?
0: It's a day long. And what we discovered was that there are up and up until just recently there were only 3 master trained QPR people in the state of Texas so we took it upon ourselves to recruit one of our volunteers and she went through the master training so now we have one in our community here in North Texas that's amazing yes only three in the state well now there's four
1: well now there's (laughs) (laughs) now there is is four. you are absolutely correct Um, is this a well-known form of training or is this something else like hope squad where you you heard about it you found out it found out about it and and like the results that you saw we like
0: to use evidence based um, curriculum, and this is uh, the QPR is evidence based.
1: Okay, you guys do a lot with uh, research. Do I understand that correctly?
0: Oh, yes. Okay. So, the research, along with our mission of providing suicide prevention training and education, there's another component of our mission that goes hand in hand with the services that we provide, and that is uh, depression research funding. So our board every year votes on an unrestricted dollar amount, and currently right now we're providing research funding support to the UT Southwestern Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. It's Dr. Trivedi, and he is doing some very interesting things with his group. Um, in terms of depression research. They have um, come up with some very unique assessment tools. They're also looking at biomarkers in um, a person's blood to better pinpoint um, an antidepressant. I don't know if you know anything about that, but a lot of times what happens is here, a doctor will say, here, try this. That might not work. It might make things worse for Mm. the patient. And um, this procedure better pinpoints um, a medication that'll work.
1: I love organizations that involve themselves with the science of their subject. Was this always a component of your organization? Were you guys always trying to do research like this?
0: In in terms of providing um, funding support, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I know you're not actually doing this. I don't <laughs> see you with a lab coat on, but, you know, actually being a part of that. You know, it's a, to me, you guys are actually trying to get ahead of this problem. The organization itself focuses on dealing with it and preventing it, but you're talking about preventing it, at least from a research standpoint, from a very early stage let's say you're really trying to get ahead of it
0: well i think what goes hand in hand with the programs that we have is actually doing something that will benefit people who suffer from depression and that is the research aspect you're right we don't do the research but we'd like to be able to provide some level of support to those who do
1: christina judge is the executive director of the jordan elizabeth harris foundation you can find them online at jordanharrisfoundation.org. I want to ask a little bit more about the QPR training. You guys have an event that happens, uh, looks like once a month, Mm -hmm. that I also uh, want to talk to you about. You have one coming up on September 25th. Question. That's what the Q and QPR stands for. Explain that process to me. If you start off with the question, then you need to ask it a certain way. Would you, am am I right saying that?
0: Absolutely. I think that our language is very important when, we're dealing with somebody who might be struggling with thoughts of suicide, um, it's really very important for us to use language that's non-judgmental and to be forthright about it. If, if you know of somebody who's struggling or they've expressed it, I think it's very important to just come out and say, are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about killing yourself? And instead of something that might be more judgmental, something judgmental might be, you're not thinking about doing something crazy, are you? Because what happens is you're kind of discounting the way that person feels. That actually, and-
1: I never thought about it. That actually does sound like something most people would say, where you start talking about where I'm in a dark place, I'm not doing good, this, that, or the other. And then the person listening, I mean, it's not malicious or anything. You go, you're not thinking about doing something crazy, are you? Like, come on. That really sounds like a natural thing to say, and you're saying that that's, like, don't do that. That's that's not a good way to start this conversation.
0: But I think, Nick, that a lot of people are very scared, and they they really don't know, know how to ask that important question because it's very scary for them. Oh, why don't you try going for a jog or do some yoga or, you know, maybe if you just, you know— Try to replug or, I need you know, to go something. To this training. Anytime I talk to you, I'm
1: always like, get some more exercise. We <laughs> thought about exercise, change up the diet. How about more sleep? I, it sounds like I could use a little bit of QPR training. <laughs> this isn't good.
0: I think everybody can benefit from it.
1: And and that's probably the most important reason why you're here. This is something that not a lot of people really want to talk about, but it's, it's what you guys do. It's why you're here. Absolutely. Persuade. Now, Obviously, no one's going to encourage someone to hurt themselves. But what are we talking about when we say persuade after we've figured out the right questions to ask?
0: I think depending on the person that you're dealing with, you could be dealing with the loved one. You could be dealing with the coworker. I think it's very important to let that person know that I'm here for you. I care about you and I'm listening. I want to help you. Will you allow me to help you?
1: Are people as receptive to this as they should be? Or is this one of the things where you really have to work on somebody before they will finally open up and really tell you what's going on? Because I, I can't think of really anything that would be a more deep conversation to have with someone. You can't really have this conversation with a stranger.
0: Well, we've actually had several people tell us that they've used QPR on strangers before.
1: Is you... that is that really the point of the training, that you can talk to anybody, whether they're a, a close friend or even a complete stranger? I I have seen in the past that sometimes when people are, they're almost more free among strangers to an extent.
0: Yes, I agree with you. So yeah.
1: is that kind of what this training is all about, where it could be for anyone in any situation?
0: I believe so. I and believe so. And
1: that's another thing that you guys really, really liked mm-hmm. about it. All right. So you have this. Let's talk. Let's taco about QPR. You uh, you have them once a month. You have one on October 23rd if you're looking far ahead in the calendar, but you also have one on September 25th. What do you guys do at this event?
0: Well, first of all, I need to give a shout out to our program coordinator, Christy Wiley. This is her brainchild. Okay. So, the the class is usually capped at about 25 or 30, and that's a manageable amount of people. the The guests come in and they get their tacos and they sit down and it takes about an hour. So we go over all of the question, persuade, refer. There's a presentation, um, a short video that goes with it. So it's, it's, it's been very well received.
1: You're giving out tacos. <laughs> yes. I mean, what's not to love? And we uh, have to
0: give a shout-out to Los Vaqueros University.
1: Los Vaqueros. Ensemble those.
0: co-working and Williams financial planning. <laughs> you got a lot
1: of uh, a lot of help. Who are most of the people that are coming uh, to an event like this? Is it professionals that are looking to start implementing this? Is it people that are just interested in using it in their own lives? Who normally comes and gets tacos?
0: It's a really diverse group. Um, some people are wanting to test drive it. If they think that their you know, uh, group that they're working with or co-workers or whatever, um, we have a hospital system. They're sending a couple people that are coming because they're thinking of using it for their hospital staff. Um, sometimes... People will find out about it on our website or through Eventbrite. Um, also, when we're out in the community, it, it's just a very diverse, a lot of teachers, um, social workers, parents, um, teenagers. It's, it's really a diverse group.
1: You know what? I just thought about this. You're, you're talking about the diversity of the people that are using uh, your services. I saw medical professionals and then also police. Is it common to have policemen or even maybe firemen come and learn these techniques is it becoming more popular
0: well that leads me to another thing and that is because we have um, a relationship with MedStar and MedStar is getting ready and they or they probably have started to implement it they're doing a hope squad for first responders really right right because when you stop and think of first responders A lot of them are hesitant to reach out and get help because of course we talk about stigma again and they may feel as though that might hamper their chances to um, continue providing emergency services, Mm. um, promotion amongst the ranks. They may be pulled off um, and given a desk job, what have you. So the nice thing about the um, Hope Squad for First Responders is that it provides a safety net for them as well in terms of encouraging help seeking. So there's their peers are actually Hope Squad leaders and also first responders.
1: Which is another big thing when you're dealing with that arena, whether you're a veteran or a first responder, it's hard to talk to people that don't understand that lifestyle. So that must have been a, a great way for you guys to get in there and to help them and, and to keep this program going. Is this a new program?
0: It's a brand new program, and Desiree Partain with MedStar is responsible for starting it, and we provided some advisory um you know, some advice, but it's, it's her baby.
1: Did she, pro- did she approach you guys about getting this, uh, into police departments? Is that how this started?
0: Yes. And she's the one, it was her idea. So we just helped with some advice and it's taken off. And so we're really happy that that's happening.
1: That's exciting. What departments is it with?
0: I'm it because it's just started. I'm not really sure where she is at the implement- so, uh, so th- implementation I mean, stage. Brand, yeah, new. It's brand new.
1: So, I mean, it's got to make you feel good when people just start approaching you wanting to use the techniques of your organization. You're just getting phone calls from people saying that they want to be a part of this. It's got to feel good.
0: It is. It is. And um, Ellen and I have been working together on um, an ambassador program. I think doing the QPR certification and then going out and providing the training is not for everybody. Mm. It's not. It takes... special kind of person to provide that training, um, because it can be very emotional. People in the audience will ask questions. They have a story to share. Um, So with the ambassador program, that allows us to be able to use volunteers to go out and provide outreach efforts.
1: If you want to be a volunteer with this organization, what's the best way for people to do that?
0: Uh, We have a contact, an info, a general info contact on our website, and um, that's the best way to do it.
1: All right, you guys do have a big event coming up, the 5th Annual Luncheon. It's over at the Will Rogers Coliseum. You guys are calling it Bring the Conversation to Light. What do you guys have going on over there?
0: Well, this is the 5th Annual Luncheon, and we have about a 1,000 guests. It's at the Will Rogers Roundup Room. The lunch is free. It's a very simple concept, box lunch and a bottle of water, uh, We try to get you in and out in an hour. A lot of people are there on their lunch hour. And generally, we have a keynote speaker. This um, keynote speaker this year is Dr. Jennifer Wright Berryman. She's a nationally recognized suicidologist. She just put out a TED Talk, so you can Google that and look it up. And her message this year will be one of hope.
1: Once again, the fifth annual luncheon the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation happening on November 14th from noon to 1 p.m. at the Will Rogers Coliseum. If you want more details, you can find them online at jordanharrisfoundation.org. Christina Judge, executive director of this organization, was my guest. It was great speaking with you. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for having us, Nick.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears?